0: Marquez and Megan, two theater nerds, set out to explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by William Shakespeare.
1: Although they don't realize it yet, they are about to enter a brave new world, full of sound and fury. Come what come may, they have entered the Twilight
0: Bard. The Bard Light Zone. It's a Twilight Zone episode.
1: Ba-da-da-doo. Welcome to Avant Bard. Like we said, it's a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself,
0: William Shakespeare.
1: My name is Matthew James Marquez, and I use he, him pronouns.
0: And my name is Megan Charlo, and I use she, her pronouns.
1: Today, we are discussing an episode of the Twilight Zone.
0: doo dee doo 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 doo
1: But not really The Twilight Zone. No. We are discussing an episode of The New Twilight Zone.
0: Oh, like the one that Jordan Peele did?
1: No. The oh. New Twilight Zone. Oh. The one that Jordan Peele did is just titled The Twilight Zone. Oh. And then you probably put in parentheses 2019. Probably. But this is the new Twilight Zone, stylized as the new Twilight Zone. But it is not, like you said, the new Twilight Zone. It's just the new Twilight Zone.
0: Oh, not the new new Twilight Zone.
1: No, it's the new Twilight Zone. Anyway, the Twilight Zone is an anthology sci-fi fantasy TV show created by Rod Serling. The first series shot entirely in black and white ran on CBS for five seasons from 1959 to 1964. There have been several revivals of the show, such as The New Twilight Zone in 1985 running until 1989, a very short-lived and really not well-known one from 2002 to 2003, and, like Megan said, The Current one, which started airing in 2019 and has had two seasons so far, but a third has yet to be announced. And it might get cancelled, because the second season, people say, pretty bad.
0: Oh, good!
1: It has also spawned a movie in which famous film directors, including Steven Spielberg, each directed a section, and there's also the ride, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror, in Disney World.
0: That's my favorite ride.
1: It's a great ride. I would say Twilight Zone is one of those weird franchises that doesn't really have any of the unifying features of other franchises, you know, besides the name, the doo 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 doo, and some of the more iconic episodes. So, like we said before, today we are going to talk about an episode of the rebooted series, The New Twilight Zone, titled Act Break. This was one of three sections of the episode as it aired, since it is an anthology series. Act Break first aired on November 15th, 1985, and was written by Haskell Barkin and directed by Ted Flicker.
0: I don't know those guys.
1: Their names appear red on Wikipedia, Megan. What does that mean? That means they have no link associated with them. So you can't click on a page and go to anything associated with them. Great. And I am going to forego an acting corner, Megan. Yeah! I am throwing caution to the wind. I feel dangerous. Ooh. Ooh. I'm sure that this is a big, juicy, meaty subject. It's a Twilight Zone. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of people's favorite franchise. Hell yeah. So I think we should just get right into it. Hell yeah. All right.
0: I don't like this new intro. I don't like it. I don't like the new Twilight Zone's intro. I don't like it.
1: Yeah, it's not great.
0: It's cheesy, but not in a good way.
1: The old one at least had like... The premise that it was a 1950s series and also was kind of the first thing of its kind on TV. There was a risk there, so the budgets weren't as big, so you couldn't really do a lot. So it's got kind of like this homespun feel, whereas this new intro feels like it's trying to emulate that.
0: But like, we have money! Yeah. But it looks bad. I don't know. You know
1: what? I agree.
0: So we meet our main character. His name is Maury Winkler, and he's a schmuck.
1: Yeah, he is a down-on-his-luck writer who is being hounded by his landlord.
0: The landlord is like a butcher or something, and he's chasing after Maury, and Maury's got a bag that I was like, oh, okay, he bought something from the butcher, but the money was fake or something, and so the butcher is chasing after him because his money was no good, And it took me until they got to the actual location of his apartment for me to realize that that's his landlord who said the rent money wasn't there. Yeah. I was just very confused.
1: I mean, it just really puts you in the middle of something and you're like, you need to give me context, my guys.
0: And like, he's got two jobs. So like, you just get two jobs, I guess. That's my I mean, capitalism's terrible.
1: Megan. Don't call being a landlord a job. Fair. It's not really a job. You are making a ton of money in order to do very little work. Yet it
0: doesn't seem like this guy's making a ton of money. He's got like a dirty butcher outfit and I don't know. Does he do butchering because he loves that? Well, Megan, we
1: learn that he is in fact not a butcher when Maury mentions how badly he smells of fish. He's a fishmonger. He's a fishmonger.
0: Like Polonius.
1: Well, Megan, no. Polonius is not a fishmonger. A
0: fishmonger.
1: Megan, no. Polonius is not a fishmonger. Hamlet calls him
0: a fishmonger. You are a fishmonger. But he's like, "Ah, you'll get money. I've got to play. It'll make money. I'll pay you. Bye. And he like kind of escapes the landlord for a bit. The landlord's like, How long does it take you to write a play? Because I want money now. he said, Like six months, maybe a year.
1: We also learned that all of his plays close on the first night.
0: So that sucks! Six months to a year and it closes on the first night?
1: Megan, I know I said that being a landlord is not a job, but that doesn't invalidate your point that Maury should have a second job.
0: Here's my thing How is it taking him this long to write plays this bad? If he's taking a year.
1: Where is he getting his money?
0: I assume he's got like moneylenders or something, which could have brought in far more Shakespeare, but kind of glad we didn't go there. We then
1: go upstairs. He dodges his landlord and we get a scene with him and his writing partner where he's arguing over how their lead character should kill someone in the play.
0: They're like, no guns. Gun is bad. We can't have a gun swimming pool that seems pretty great push them out a window into a swimming pool and they drown and they're like kind of on that and then they finally decide wait no strangling's better but it's kind of a convoluted scene but it's kind of funny because it's two creatives trying to talk it over and slightly fighting each other about how best to kill a fake person
1: yeah these guys give me uh old gay couple energy
0: i mean they've been working together for what They've written 17 plays, so that means they've been working together for like 8 to 17 years. (laughs) They've made a lot of stuff together.
1: Sorry if I'm reading too much into it, Mm -hmm. but I see two creative men working together on a theatrical production.
0: In an apartment. In
1: an apartment, and they never talk about women. So I'm just going to assume these two guys are gay.
0: I mean, fair. Also, there's, like, this really kind of sweet moment where it's, like, we've written 17 plays, like, tell me, how how are they actually? And Maury's just, like, they all, and they're, like, kind of fighting, so you think that he's gonna be, like, they're shit, you suck, we're bad at this, but he's, like, they're all good, they're professional quality, like, they're great pieces of work that you and I have done, and that's gay.
1: That is gay. But then he's, uh partner harry uh, starts having a heart attack
0: they're working on this scene with the strangling and harry is dictating while maury's typing and it's apparently the best work that harry's ever done and then he freaking dies he just keels over
1: and-, and maury keeps writing for a bit before realizing this but then you know eventually helps his friend
0: but it's too late. He's having a heart attack. He's gonna die. You can't take him to a hospital. There's nothing in the world that could save this man.
1: Nuh-uh-uh-uh, no, uh, 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 Megan. Because Harry has a magic wish relic.
0: I'm sorry, it is an amulet given to him by Burmese monks after he was in a plane crash. With them?
1: I don't mm-hmm. know. But he tells Mori that everyone gets one wish and that Maury should wish for Harry to stay alive. I'm gonna be real. Boom, 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 boom. Lazy. What the hell?
0: This is the Twilight Zone, and this amulet is not even really the weird thing of the episode. Like, it is the catalyst, but there's no backstory really ever given to it. You know, your run-of-the-mill Burmese monk amulet that allows each owner one wish.
1: A good Twilight Zone episode would just focus on this amulet and...
0: What it's done over the years.
1: Yes, except we don't do that.
0: So Harry's dying, and Maury's got his head in his lap. Like, they're gay. I repeat, they're gay. We get it. And Maury's like... Oh, God, I want money. I could have money. Or my best friend and love of my life back. Ooh, I mean, it is his thing. Why can't I just have two wishes? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yada, yada, we get it. You just got, use the amulet. It's not yours. He gave it to you so that you could use it on him. Come on.
1: And then Harry gets like a second wind after dying and just goes like, come on.
0: He's like, what's taking you so long? (laughs) Maury.
1: My favorite thing is the one like straight washing moment is Maury tells Harry, I loved you like a brother. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, brother. Sure. 1980s. Sure.
0: Either way. He's a bad boy because he uses the wish for selfish reasons, as we all expected.
1: Well, Megan, what would this episode be if he just said, I do wish you back to life. Let's write our play.
0: Then it should be about the amulet. The episode I want it to be. I mean, it wouldn't be a Shakespeare episode.
1: Yes. So what he does is that instead of wishing Harry to live, he wishes to partner with the greatest playwright who ever lived.
0: Why doesn't he just ask for money?
1: Megan, you're not wrong.
0: You can write all the shitty plays in the world if you got money.
1: Yeah, and so, instead of getting exactly what he wants, uh uh-oh, he's sent back in time! His hair is long!
0: He has a doublet of sorts! And
1: uh, he yells at the amulet.
0: He says there was a breakdown in communication. Yeah, you communicated wrong. You were not specific. This is a classic
1: monkey's paw. This means he really isn't a great writer, because if he really was a good writer, he would know that this is definitely a monkey's paw situation. He'd
0: have seen at least one episode of The Twilight Zone. Yes. And who's there in the room with him? None other. Then William Shakespeare. <gasps> and Shakespeare is like, another wild servant? Must I beat thee? And he thinks that Maury's a servant that he needs to beat because he's not doing his job. But then Maury reveals, well,
1: he knows how to read.
0: <sighs> that changes everything.
1: We get a little bit of a twist on Shakespeare here. Because he's lamenting how shitty his plays are.
0: He's really lamenting how shitty Timon of Athens is.
1: And I just need to interject here and say that I don't think Timon of Athens is that bad.
0: He calls it a dull, difficult, flat piece. I take some of those I, true. I
1: disagree, but we could just split hairs. I don't
0: think it's difficult.
1: I would say that on the spectrum of Shakespeare plays, there are many that are worse. But Timon of Athens, talk aside.
0: Maury's like, well, yeah, no one wants to read Time of Athens. It sucks. What people want to read is Hamlet.
1: Uh, Hamlet, you say? What
0: is that? The funny thing, though, is that Shakespeare keeps going, Hamnet? Which is Shakespeare's son's name. That died. That died. But yeah, so every time that Maury's like, no, Hamlet, he's like, tell me about this Hamnet.
1: It's like, Hamlet with an L.
0: So then Maury tells him the whole story of Hamlet, and Shakespeare's like, This is some good shit, Mori.
1: Tell me more. Can you write this down? Do you remember what the lines were?
0: At one point, Mori's like, it's Hamlet Schlemiel, because Mori's Jewish. And I just thought it was funny because Shakespeare goes, tell me more of this Hamlet Schlemiel. It
1: it is pretty funny. Well, Mori thinks it's just a big mistake. He
0: he needs to just
1: get out of here. Yep.
0: But every owner only gets one wish. What you gonna do, Maury?
1: So what he does is nothing.
0: He goes, "I have a magic amulet that lets me have a wish," and Shakespeare's like, "Thanks, yoink."
1: The thing is, Shakespeare doesn't act selfishly. He kind of just accidentally makes a wish.
0: Yeah, he's just like, "I wish you to write with me." Come on, that's all I want from you. Then you can have this back.
1: And then, whoa, he said
0: the word wish.
1: And so that gives Maury all of the knowledge of Shakespeare's plays, including all of Hamlet.
0: With an L.
1: So it's a time loop, and he is the secret writer of William Shakespeare's loop. So technically, according to this episode... Hamlet is an artifact that exists outside of time and space because the only reason that he knows Hamlet
0: is because he told Shakespeare Hamlet to... I hate time loop situations. I hate messing with time. I hate it. It fucks with my brain so much.
1: Well, Megan, I'm sure this will lead to a crazy set of circumstances in the next scene.
0: No, it's over.
1: Oh. We did it! We... Got through act break.
0: Hell yeah, what would you rate this episode with the Twilight Zone? I'd
1: rate it a zero. It's boring. Ugh. It's like five minutes long, Megan.
0: I'd give it like one fishmonger out of three references to Hamnet.
1: Okay. MVP.
0: Oh, MVP. Mm, MVP is Harry.
1: Well, he also plays Shakespeare.
0: Harry plays. Sh- That's the same actor? Yes. That actor then, yeah. Okay, duh. cool. MVP. He's Harry and Shakespeare. He's the gay lover who dies and Shakespeare. Cool.
1: We give it to him.
0: Who probably becomes the future gay lover. Awesome. But we just don't get to see hey, it. Hey, Megan,
1: what would uh, Shakespeare think about uh, Act Break?
0: No. He's said that before.
1: Well, I think that's going to do it for us here on Avant Bard.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in. And Psych! What? We're not done! What? There's another episode of The Twilight Zone, a longer episode of The Twilight Zone, a better episode of The Twilight Zone, and
1: an original episode of The Twilight Zone. All right, Megan, it's time. Replay the theme song. <gasps> Okay, uh Shakespeare off a bard, we're two theater nerds, um
0: My name's Megan. Uh, my oh, name's wait, Ma- sorry. William Shakespeare. My name is Megan Charlotte. Uh, she her.
1: My name is Matthew J. Sorquez, he him.
0: Yada yada yada, the stuff you said about the Twilight Zone before. Uh, but now we gotta talk about the real original Twilight Zone.
1: Yes. This is season four, episode 18 of the Twilight Zone, the Bard. The Bard is the last hour-long episode of the original series, and was written by Rod Serling himself. This episode, as you will soon discover, was a satire of how the television industry tries to interfere with artistic vision. The thing is, The Twilight Zone was a very progressive show for its time. Rod Serling firmly believed that science fiction could help him put forth some of his more controversial opinions at the time. You know, that racism and anti-semitism was a bad thing wild Megan,
0: it's wild i can't think of a comment to say
1: it was the 1960s serling also had a bunch of sponsors that would constantly try to shoehorn in their own ideas to his very moral work and this comes to the forefront in the bard this is an episode where william shakespeare is an actual character like in act break rather than being based directly on any of his plays. The thing I want to make clear before we get into this is that Shakespeare was a company playwright, meaning he wrote plays for a specific company and was part of the burgeoning middle class, and that helped make him a rather wealthy man. I am sure that in no way, shape, or form, Do these facts have anything to do with this episode?
0: Marquez, I'm looking at the notes right here. You don't have an acting corner.
1: Yeah, well, Megan, there's no one really famous in this episode. Hey, Marquez? Yeah?
0: You know, that one guy who's in one of the later scenes as an actor? That's Burt Reynolds.
1: (sighs) That's Burt Reynolds? That's
0: Burt Reynolds.
1: (laughs) Uh, so I didn't really look that hard at this (laughs) and he was buried like really deep down burt reynolds is famous oh man i don't really have an acting corner prepared megan
0: okay i've got this okay burt reynolds wait wait wait.
1: welcome to the acting corner
0: burt reynolds off the top of the dome not looking anything up burt reynolds mustache uh, in Critical Role, Scanlon's fake identity is Burt Reynolds when he puts on a mustache. Uh, cool. He died recently.
1: Yeah, he did.
0: That's all I know about Burt Reynolds off the top of my head. I know he's a big actor man.
1: Uh, hairy chest?
0: Oh, he does have a hairy chest. Yes, yes, um, yes. I think Anchorman, the look, kind of feels like it was inspired by Burt Reynolds.
1: Anyway, he's famous. You can look him up.
0: I'm so sorry. I don't know actors. <laughs>
1: He was a sex symbol. There you go. Burt Reynolds. We did him justice.
0: And he was young in this. So honestly, at the time, everyone else was probably just like, yeah, it's just some guy named Burt Reynolds.
1: Yeah, he was not famous yet.
0: So let's just run away from that acting corner and get right into the episode.
1: Awesome. Let's go.
0: We meet a writer yet again. Kind
1: of a schmuck.
0: His name is Julius Moomer and he is pitching movies to the something agency that he works for and no one likes his ideas
1: one of his ideas is about a champagne who can't fight and i am not making this up he consistently uses the word champagne
0: and i only think of homestarrunner.com a wagon
1: full of pancakes in the champagne ship nobody likes this dude
0: nobody likes this dude the secretary hates him Mr. Hugo, the boss man. Gotta say, he seems pretty nice considering he hasn't just like outright said, you're not allowed to come here anymore.
1: Patience of a saint. Because this guy, Moomer, he's bringing in some real stankers.
0: So much so that like this secretary literally says to him, why don't you go downstairs and cross the street against a red light? Yikes. Wow. I mean, I can see a
1: little bit of Moomer being kind of like Rod Serling in that two of the things that he's trying to sell are a robot picture and a zombie flick.
0: The robot picture is a romance.
1: I don't see anything wrong with that.
0: It's the wrong year. It is Honestly, the wrong year. that's it. If right c- now, we'd be in.
1: Yeah, I'm like, give me a robot love movie.
0: And Hugo, Mr. Hugo's like, can't you just go back to your old job? Go back to the streetcar you used to conduct a streetcar. And Moomer's like, I can't. The streetcars are barely a thing. And I get motion sickness. Whop wap. I can't do it. And Hugo says, okay, well, I've got to go because we are doing TV now. And we need to pitch TV scripts to this network. And
1: the new series is about black magic.
0: Moomer makes a suggestion to do a show that's called Pick Your Own Embalmer.
1: I mean, that's just Ask a Mortician, Megan.
0: Uh, I would watch it just like I watch Ask a Mortician. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Again, though, very wrong year. Julius, you're on the wrong time. Yep. You need a pendant from some Burmese monks.
1: Uh, To make a wish?
0: To be in a time when his stories would be appreciated, yes.
1: Maybe 1985 with the new Twilight Zone.
0: But no, this story's about black magic and Moomer's like, Yeah, I'll do it. But he doesn't know anything about black magic. And he made a promise that he's going to get them a script
1: by Monday.
0: This is like any childhood stress dream.
1: I will say, Megan, that if there was a TV show about black magic, I feel like you'd watch it.
0: I fucking would. I'd watch most of them. (laughs) And we got a great quip from Mr. Rod Serling. Mr. Julius Moomer, a would-be writer who, if talent came 25 cents a pound, would be worth less than car fare. Ouch.
1: Why is the narrator just digging into this dude?
0: He's just that shitty of a writer. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So then we cut to Moomer... Goes to a bookstore.
0: I want to go to it. It's just a bookstore, but it's like a used bookstore, and I love those. Oh,
1: used bookstores just have, like, the perfect level of clutter to them that makes them enticing.
0: Like, it looks almost abandoned. They've got the thing where they've got books on shelves outside, even. I love it.
1: And then he comes across the owner of the bookstore. No, the owner's busy. So it's just, like... The
0: worker lady?
1: But she's, like, really into baseball,
0: That's all she'll talk about.
1: I'm gonna be real. The bit doesn't work. I don't think it's funny, and I don't think it's interesting, and this character never shows up again. So I don't know why they needed to give her a bit.
0: So she says he looks like this baseball player, and maybe the actor does. That's the reason she gives for giving him...
1: A book on black magic. A book
0: on black magic for free. But we haven't gotten there yet. But I'm just gonna cut ahead really quick, because... She says that he looks like this guy, and that's why she's not selling it to him and just giving it to him. So maybe the actor really does look like this baseball guy, and they wanted that to be a logistical reason, but it makes no sense.
1: At first she says there are no books on black magic,
0: though. We don't got any! Thunk.
1: A book magically flies off the shelf and onto the ground.
0: A book labeled, Ye Book of Ye Black Art.
1: I hate to do this because it was written by Rod Serling himself, but boop, 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 lazy. Oh my God. This is almost as lazy as the amulet. Almost. It
0: would honestly be better if he was just looking through the shelves and found it and did the thing where he goes to check out and she goes, we don't sell that book. And then he just takes it. Well, even
1: just this being the whole setup of what the plot is, again. The book is not the main point of the moral lesson or plot that we're...
0: Moomer is. It's just Moomer.
1: It is the situation and not the artifact that is the problem, which I think is probably some of the lazier Twilight Zones are like that, where it's just like, it's a magical thing, and then it does things. And then the things that it does are the problem that we're facing. But you don't really dissect where this book comes from, who it belonged to before. You don't learn anything about this. Again, like Megan said about the amulet, it's just a catalyst. And that makes it kind of wild that it's a book of black magic that he just finds. That spoiler alert works.
0: So Moomer takes it and he goes on the public bus to go home and he just starts muttering to himself, reading it aloud and drawing symbols in the air and stuff. dude. Don't do that on a public bus. Uh,
1: Listen, I am afraid of reading manga on a bus because I don't want people to look over and judge me. The fact that he's doing this, I'm like, this guy has zero awareness of other people. (laughs) He does not give a shit about other people.
0: The bus driver is giving him a look like, I don't want to be a part of this. And I agree with it. But then Moomer gets up and is just like, va-va-voom, ipsy-dipsy, and I am immediately out of the episode. I don't like it right now. I hate this.
1: It is too much, Megan. I will say, though, I've been on Chicago buses where things have gotten kind of wild. I live in the city. This bus driver is weak compared to Chicago bus drivers.
0: Okay, here's the thing, though. He just goes, that's it, you're off my bus, get off. He doesn't want to be part of some horror television anthology.
1: Well, then he shouldn't have driven a bus in the, the Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone. So then we cut to him at his apartment.
0: Speaking simlish straight from the book.
1: And then we get a new character, Cora, who is a young girl that lives in his apartment building.
0: I don't even know if she lives in his apartment or if his door is just constantly unlocked.
1: Rod Serling, you wrote this you have offered no establishing information about who this girl is. So I just have to make assumptions that she's the landlord's daughter.
0: Because she's constantly like, I'm going to tell mom. And my first thought was, like, that's his daughter. And then she's going to tell his wife and get him in trouble with the missus. But there's no reason to think that he has a wife, let alone a wife and child.
1: Also, Cora does not remain a character throughout the whole thing only appears at the beginning and end so whatever the reason he wants to use this book is he wants to gain knowledge of black magic we learn that basically he doesn't want to create good art that's not his intention he
0: wants fame and notoriety
1: he wants servants dressed up in all their lizardy
0: get it He messed up the word livery because he's a bad writer, so his vocabulary's bad.
1: And I will connect this to Dogberry from Much Ado About Nothing, like we had in the last episode.
0: Cora ignores his misspeaking completely and just goes straight to calling him Faust for trying to conjure things. This girl's way smarter than him. She should be writing for the TV shows. And he keeps going, and she's like, what are you doing, mister?
1: And he goes, don't you
0: dig? I'm conjuring, baby. I'm conjuring. Which would have been our episode opener if we didn't want to do a little Twilight Zone thingy. Because that's just perfectly terrible.
1: Also, we learned that he made a bunch of substitutes for the spell that he's casting. And it's like, do you look into a cookbook and see sugar and you just go, I guess flour's okay. It's white and powdery.
0: I did a recipe one time where I substituted like three different ingredients with butter. And it was the worst thing I've ever eaten. Don't do this for magic.
1: You're gonna fuck something up. But guess what, Megan?
0: He doesn't. Why even do this? When he's not even trying, he's just like, What do they think I am? Shakespeare? Poof. Shakespeare. He appears. Here. I was like, why is Shakespeare not like, what? The modern age, etc. This isn't his first time.
1: Obviously, Megan, many magicians have conjured him from hell heaven. And to cap off the scene, Moomer faints. Because obviously he just summoned Shakespeare. Okay, going back to my thing that I said we wouldn't go back to about Shakespeare being a company man who was just wealthy and part of the burgeoning middle class. I don't know where Shakespeare's scholarship was in the 1960s Probably not as knowledgeable as we are now. But they will continue to portray Shakespeare as a very hoity toity, highfalutin fella.
0: The difference between this Shakespeare and Act Break Shakespeare is so vast.
1: This is definitely Rod Serling is a bardolater and thinks so highly of the works of William Shakespeare that he elevates him to a level of godhood. Does not age well, in my opinion, because uh, we just have a very different view of the man. That's no part a fault of the work itself. It just doesn't age well.
0: When Moomer wakes up, Shakespeare is still just sitting there waiting. Like, let me please you, I await your pleasure. And he starts quoting Romeo and Juliet a lot. So much so that Marquez and I both went, is this the only play he's gonna quote? But what makes it worse, slash better, I can't decide, Mm -hmm. is that after every single quote, he says what it's from and the act and scene. And I hate it so much, like, I'd hate that person but I love it as a character.
1: Uh, I do not beg it. The fact that they put this guy next to Moomer makes me just like, my brain is rattling in its skull. I cannot handle both of these things at the same time.
0: They are complete opposites on the same scale and it's just so rough. But at the same time that he's like godlike, Rod Serling makes Shakespeare this judgmental bitch and I can't help but love it.
1: Okay, I do love that he's a judgmental bitch. I will give you that. It is just the constant quotations that fucking drive me up the wall. I put at three separate points in these notes, this Shakespeare guy needs new material. All we hear from this guy is him quoting other works.
0: Yeah, like 90% of his lines are him quoting himself. And then citing it.
1: (laughs) Which, if somebody did that to me, I would think that they needed to leave my presence before they get socked. I would also like to mention that Moomer brings up to Shakespeare the idea that they could be partners, writing partners, you see? And they can make a big picture with big stars like Ingrid Bergman, to which Megan went... I don't know who that is. Megan. Yeah. You don't know who... Three-time Academy Award winner Ingrid Bergman is. Star of Casablanca, one of the most famous movies of all time.
0: Oh, her! Okay.
1: Anyway, he wants a big name. And Shakespeare's like, (laughs) whomst?
0: Just as Megan says the same thing. Yeah, Moomer's the kind of guy who is just like, Hey, by the way, can I call you Will? And of course, Shakespeare goes, Of course. Oh, Rose by any other name would smell sweet. Romeo and Juliet. Act blank, scene blank.
1: That line makes no sense <laughs> no. to what he's saying.
0: The context is like, I wish you could change your name because you're, our families are fighting.
1: It doesn't matter what you're called. You're still beautiful. So Shakespeare saying,
0: no Doesn't... matter what you call me, I'm, I'm still... beautiful. You know, I think he said it on purpose. You know I think what? it was the right context for him. And then <laughs> Moomer's like, oh, come on, write with me. You know, you got all that great literature in your mind. Like, I swear not by the moon, that crazy moon.
1: <laughs> I think that that line's good.
0: <laughs> I do love misquoted Shakespeare. That is still the essence. It's not just like completely wrong, but it's just modern and. Off.
1: So Shakespeare does agree that they will work together and that, they, that their names will be remembered together. That was the deal that they make. This will be important later. It will be on the test, Megan. Oh no. So we cut to
0: the pitch meeting.
1: And they have received Moomer's script.
0: And all the network guys are looking at it and they're like, this language is so archaic. Why would this be on modern television? Shakespeare put in the pounce-it box line from Henry the Fourth.
1: Megan, here's the thing. Did he just write down a mishmash of his own plays and submit it as a script? This Shakespeare guy's a terrible writer.
0: Here's my theory. Shakespeare's been called to do this shit so many times. This is the time that he's just like, ah, fuck it. Uh, I'll rose it by in. any other sprinkle a little cat and onion line from Taming of the Shrew.
1: Except it needs to be changed to turnips.
0: Folks like turnips. I don't... What was their reason?
1: Megan, it's because they don't make onion soup. That's French. And they're an American company. So they can't
0: mention onions.
1: So the name of the script is The Tragic Cycle by Julius Moomer. And here's my thing, Megan. This is supposed to be a critique on how networks try to ruin artistic work. It doesn't quite work for me, considering that Shakespeare was a guy who was just like, what's hot? What's selling right now? Oh, you want a woman pretending to be a man? Got it. Write three plays about that.
0: You want some witches, James? Got Got it.
1: You think that they're interesting? There you go. You want Falstaff? You guys love Falstaff? Here's a whole play about Falstaff. Merry Wives of Windsor, baby. So... I feel like propping Shakespeare up as like, ah, yes, the high artist whose work must never be tarnished.
0: Should he, just be allowed to be as is without any mingling. He
1: literally wrote a play called As You Like It.
0: This is what you guys like. It's called This Is What The Fuck You Guys Asked For.
1: Well, I get it. I don't think that Shakespeare is the best vehicle in which to showcase this.
0: I feel like it's um even more true, because it seems like this is just a mishmash of already written works, that honestly, at least one of those network executives should probably be like, didn't you steal this whole section from Twelfth Night? Yeah, come on. We move ahead in time. The tragic cycle is going to go on air, so everybody's talking about Julius Moomer. He's doing interviews on TV, and he's just like, you just got to keep punching, just keep working, and eventually, you'll do good.
1: What I love is that the interview guy's like, yeah, but like your previous submissions have been about robots in love and zombies.
0: You used to suck shit. Why are you good now?
1: I do love that Moomer's like, aren't those pics great? I know. He doesn't say like, oh yeah, I've changed. He goes, no.
0: I know I've always been amazing, right? <laughs> you gotta suffer to be a writer and I vomit on his face and I hate him.
1: Yeah, the whole artist suffering idea is bullshit.
0: Especially if you used conjuring to conjure William Shakespeare to do all the work for you
1: moomer talks about how he wants to make a show about a rich guy and his problems yeah like
0: multi-billionaire problems
1: yep which uh is basically just shows like modern family and fraser and like reality tv every
0: reality show yeah again he's just a bit off in the timeline
1: just wait 30 years And you can start making some of these shows.
0: Like your shitty writing, it'll go. It'll work. But turns out, William Shakespeare is watching this interview. And he is super pissed. And Moomer's like, wasn't that amazing? Wow, Will, you did so good. And Shakespeare just goes, it comes from working in an attic. And I'm like, yeah, throw that shade, Shakespeare. Kill Moomer. I hate him. I just hate Moomer so much. He deserves pain.
1: What I do like about this is Shakespeare is refuting Moomer's point. And listen, that does track with Shakespeare. Because it's like Shakespeare's life, besides a little bit of family drama, wasn't that hard.
0: He didn't suffer for his work. He probably had some rough days, some rough years.
1: He was a glove salesman's son who got sent to school.
0: Yeah, he got to go to school.
1: He became a relatively successful playwright that got him a big house.
0: He He didn't start from nothing. Yeah. And he didn't suffer. He just kind of followed a path.
1: So what Shakespeare really wants is... To have his name on this work, because obviously he wants accreditation as you should want.
0: Yeah, I don't know. If you write something completely by yourself, maybe your name should be the one on it. Yep. There's this really great back and forth between Moomer and Shakespeare, where Moomer's like, oh, what? Do you want to just creep back into some crypt and be forgotten by leaving this partnership with me? And Shakespeare just snaps back. With all due modesty, sir, the name of William Shakespeare has survived the test of time without the support of Julius Moomer.
1: Hey, Shakespeare, fame flits! Who remembers yesterday's champagne?
0: A wagon full of pancakes! Uh, a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people. Like, Shakespeare is still being talked about. We have a whole podcast about him. Nobody's talking about Julius Moomer, this fake person who never existed.
1: Well, Megan, actually, we're We're talking about Julius Moomer. Sorry to burst your bubble.
0: So Shakespeare says, fine, I won't just leave the partnership, quote unquote partnership.
1: But I want to be more involved.
0: Bring me to this rehearsal. I want to see that they're doing this right. And
1: Shakespeare goes to leave.
0: And he says, to be or not to be, Moomer, that. And he leaves. That. <laughs> I don't
1: uh, know. <laughs> again, this guy needs new material. Stop quoting yourself. Moving on.
0: But I'm also like, uh-oh. He's gonna rock the boat a bit.
1: Don't rock the boat, Shakespeare. Rock, rock, the,
0: rock. the boat. Don't the
1: boat. So we cut to rehearsal for the tragic cycle with the actor Rocky Rhodes, which is a pun. And also is clearly a Rock Hudson slash Marlon Brando combination played by Burt Reynolds.
0: Hey. And we get the sponsor who's sitting in on rehearsal and trying to make edits and watching and stuff. And they're talking about how great Rhodes is. And the sponsor just goes, Rhodes schmodes. I sell soup. I don't know nothing about actors.
1: I love this guy. It's me. He knows exactly what he's about. That's what I appreciate about him.
0: And the director or whoever it is is just like, come on, Rocky Rhodes, he was in Streetcar Named Desire. And Soup Guy's just like, who was he, the conductor? And it's funny because it's a dig at Moomer because Moomer was a streetcar conductor. And also there is no conductor in a streetcar named Desire.
1: Rocky Rhodes asked the director what his tertiary motivation is for entering the scene.
0: Why do I come through the door?
1: Let's dig into this a little bit.
0: Okay, I'm just going to straight out say, in my experience, if you have an actor who asks something like that, just give them an answer. Just tell them something. Just be like, well, because your father always did. Like, just give them something because they might take inspiration from that and it might change their performance and they'll feel secure and they'll just (laughs) do it then.
1: I don't mean to say coddle your actors, but coddle your actors.
0: (laughs) Rocky asks this, Multiple times. He's like, no, just tell me. And I'm like, oh my God, just tell him something. Anything. Make it up. Just be like, because there was a chicken at the window. Anything.
1: Yep. I will say, though, I think that they are trying to make him out to be a ridiculous presence. Oh,
0: absolutely.
1: And I think that that is boom, 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 boo. lazy. I think it's lazy. I think that you should be a little bit more nuanced in your digs. Instead of saying, like, actors, am I right? Sometimes they can get so overbearing with all of their art.
0: With all of their questions about how they're performing so that they can portray what you want them to.
1: If Rocky Rhodes wants to be an artist, then he's wrong, according to this episode, for wanting to know so much. And the executives are wrong for trying to meddle with art, but only Shakespeare's
0: right? Only Shakespeare's right for mashing together all of his works into a nonsensical plot.
1: That's why this episode, I think, just doesn't work. Because there is no standard that is set to what is good art, but there is a standard set for what is all not good art. So as a satire, it just kind of does nothing. It says not much except for these things are bad. Like wanting to do art for fame, bad. bad. Wanting to do art to sell, bad. Wanting to do art to an extreme extent where you get lost in the character, bad. bad. Be Shakespeare, good. Ooh.
0: And who comes in to rehearsal in the middle of a rehearsal? Shakespeare himself! (gasps) It's that guy again! And everyone just kind of freezes for a bit. Like, who's this?
1: A man in doublet and hose just walked in.
0: And my original thought was, oh my god, he's gonna say something and they're gonna go, we're casting you! That doesn't happen. Uh, I was a little disappointed.
1: I thought he was going to fall in love with the actress who is just kind of doing a pretty standard job of memorizing her lines. That's what I thought it was going to they go. They did
0: have like him look at her for a bit.
1: I would have loved it if this episode ended with Shakespeare falling for this like modern actress. Shakespeare in love? Yes. But like, wouldn't that be nice if like Shakespeare's like, I actually found a true purpose and I'm going to stay here in the present and date this actress.
0: She's his muse and he writes another book of sonnets. Yeah. But he can't publish it because Shakespeare's dead. You know what? I want that episode. Okay. Anyway, the network guys, the director, all those people, they're changing lines from Hamlet. They're like Jeremy, the main guy. So this seems like it's a Romeo and Juliet thing right now. Yeah. Because it's talking about how like Jeremy's too young, but they say he's 19, which people usually say Romeo's like
1: 18, 19,
0: 18, 19. So I'm assuming that this is the Romeo character. And they're like, he can't be 19 because he knows love and he knows what love is. But also, like, the point is that he doesn't. Yeah. If he's a Romeo character, he doesn't know what love is. Honestly, if he's any of the lovers in any Shakespeare, he doesn't know what love is. Because that's the point of the play is to learn.
1: Yeah. Shakespeare questions (laughs) Rocky Rhodes. And Rhodes is just like, yeah, I was on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. To which Shakespeare replies, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof?
0: Like, there was just someone looking out their window and there was a cat that was on a tin roof that was a little hot that day and everyone went, wow, and just stared at it and he was there. Rocky Roads was there.
1: My question being, Shakespeare, how can you question this as a title of a play? You had wilder titles.
0: Well, I mean, a lot of his titles.
1: Much Ado About Nothing.
0: That's what the play is, though. Anyway. Anyway. Because he doesn't know what Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is.
1: Rocky Rhodes.
0: He calls Shakespeare an uncultured, uncouth ham. Ham, fair, because he's dressed in a doublet and hose in the 60s. But uncultured, uncouth, uh uncouth maybe, because he did just barge into the rehearsal and start pretty much calling Rocky Rhodes out for being a bad actor. Okay. Uncultured, though. Okay, I mean, he doesn't know any of the culture of from his time to the 60s, so I guess that is a lot of culture he is un.
1: Because I will say, Shakespeare did not come from a time where they practiced natural acting, where actors talked to each other with intention and motivation in the same way. And they do make fun of this actor for having modern acting practice, which, like, Shakespeare in his time wouldn't have had i don't get why this episode is declaring that modern acting practices is bad but shakespeare is good
0: and like they're doing modern acting practices throughout the twilight zone i don't i don't get it
1: it's muddled
0: rod serling's just like i wish we could do shakespearean acting <laughs> the director and all those folks are like hey who's this nut job who's this guy
1: Yeah, and Moomer tries to pass him off as, like, his wacky, delusional cousin who's his typist.
0: Weak, but okay.
1: (laughs) Fine, and they say he thinks he's William Shakespeare.
0: And Shakespeare comes on over, sits down, and is like, Alright, I want to talk about the script, and what's happening, and all this stuff. Like, uh, let's talk about the balcony scene. And they're like, hey, weirdo typist, nobody owns a balcony. We cut it. It's now a subway station or maybe a classroom where all you do is or perch the desks. This is a call out post for Private Romeo. And Shakespeare's obviously pissed. But like, I also want to point out at one moment, he's just like enamored of this rehearsal room. And he's just like, wow, I wish we had this space at the Globe. This one small room. Well, making it's jungle, got a roof. And like,
1: and lighting lighting. It's still impressive.
0: I don't know. There's no audience space because it's a TV show.
1: They got sets, though. Wouldn't
0: he care about space for audience? But cutting back to all the changes that they're making that are really upsetting Shakespeare, he keeps being like, but what about this thing? And they're like, no, nah, that's cut. The lead, yeah, he's older and he's a doctor now because people like doctors with puppies. That's not what they say, but that's the truth. And then they're, he's like, but... Esmeralda suicide, and they're like, nah, suicide's sad, doesn't happen. She just runs away, and with a fiddler who I assume was also on a roof.
1: Again, if Shakespeare was writing in this day and age, I'm sure that he would write about
0: these things. Yes. He'd be like, oh, yes, my lead is a hot young doctor who saves children.
1: Yeah, what is Shakespeare if not somebody who listens to demographics and what they like? He plays to
0: the desires of the audience. So honestly, what I think would make it better is if they were like, these are the changes we want. And he's like, "Okay, then let me write them. Yeah, because that should, I think, be his problem is that he wants it to be his work. But if he was told this will do better with the audiences, Shakespeare would be up for it. He'd make the changes himself. And then it turns out that the line, if music be the food of love, play on is said in an epilogue by a bloodstained mom who is the wife of an embezzling gardener. And I don't know how that line could possibly be an epilogue line at all. It makes literally no sense.
1: Maybe if you're just putting your old lines, you're a bad writer.
0: Here's the thing, though, is I'm like, haha, I don't know if I should be like mad at Rod Serling, like Uh, if he doesn't actually know Shakespeare as well as he loves him.
1: I don't know, Megan. I don't
0: know. So
1: Shakespeare blows up. And, you know, he tries to stop the rehearsal because he's mad at all these changes.
0: Rocky Rhodes is like, what's your problem with Stanislavski?
1: And Shakespeare goes, you, and punches him. Which I'm like, I'm okay with Shakespeare being a punchy guy.
0: And then he quotes As You Like It. And then he does the foolery orbiting the globe line from Twelfth Night. And then he goes, lots of luck. And he leaves. Okay. Okay. What's with the lots of luck line? Is that a reference to future magical legend of the leprechauns where there's leprechauns? Yes,
1: Megan, obviously.
0: Okay, I just didn't know where lots of luck could come in unless it was trying to say in the 60s that Shakespeare invented LOL, which wouldn't become necessary to know until the 21st century.
1: Megan, I hate to tell you this. Yeah. I'm going to burst your bubble wide open. Please do. The reason he says lots of luck is because you are used to Shakespeare saying quotes from himself, and he says two quotes from himself, and since it's a rule of threes, the third one is a turn of expectation, so he says something short and sweet instead of a long line. Ah. So we cut to Moomer back in his apartment.
0: Shakespeare just peaced out. He, he says he finked out, and I'm mad. Shakespeare didn't fink out. You guys had an agreement, and you finked out on the agreement.
1: Okay, so did, like, Shakespeare leave, or did he go back to hell? Well,
0: I think he, like, went back to hell.
1: It wasn't clear, so I'm like, is Shakespeare just out there, and, like, he's experiencing 1960s America? Because I would watch that series.
0: Well, so, like, that's the thing that I'm really unsure about, ye old book of ye black art.
1: Megan, I know they really established strict rules about this book and how it works at the beginning, and you know, they just aren't consistent.
0: Well, no, okay, but seriously, just like, so you conjure this being, and they can just leave whenever they want?
1: So Cora's back, and she's just like, Moomer, you son of a bitch.
0: (laughs) You really fucked up, didn't you, buddy?
1: You need to go back to your job as a streetcar conductor.
0: Moomer's just like, whoa, Shakespeare wrote such good things, slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. God, guys, in case anyone forgot, Shakespeare's so good.
1: But he does have a chance to write for a new TV series about American history.
0: Called Drunk History. No.
1: But he still has his book of ye black art.
0: Who would be better than people from history? And Megan went, oh, here it goes again. I thought it was just going to be a little reference to, like, looks to the book, Uh uh-oh, and episode ends. But then he starts summoning people. Yeah. And I was like, oh, never mind. We're still going.
1: It's wild. So he goes back to his office, and he's like, I will credit the people who I'm working with.
0: Fuck Shakespeare, though. But this time...
1: We have such great individuals like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Robert E. Lee? Yikes! Ulysses S. Grant, Daniel Boone, Theodore Roosevelt, Ben Franklin, and Pocahontas? Pocahontas, run.
0: I'm so scared for her. Like, these old guys, these old fucking white guys, are bad people.
1: Yeah. Mo- Some- mostly
0: mostly, and especially when it comes to the indigenous population.
1: <laughs> and Robert E. Lee... He's just, just
0: bad guy.
1: Yeah. Uh, no thank you.
0: I don't want this both sides of history TV show you're making, Moomer. Throughout this episode, like at the beginning and now at the end, they do a little... Like in the background, it's like part of the song, but it's just whenever, well, Moomer's at it again... They end the episode with one, and I hate them every time.
1: Moomer should deserve pain.
0: He gets no pain! Yeah, he... Everything goes right for him!
1: He comes out ahead.
0: Shakespeare is just like, cool, you went against our deal, so I'm out, but you still get your success, and I get nothing in return. I hate it.
1: What a bad moral. Anyway, we're done, Megan. We did it. We covered the Bard.
0: Uh, I think Shakespeare would say bad. I I know that he said that at some point. He said the word bad. I didn't come up with a real quote because honestly, I think Shakespeare would be offended by his portrayal. I do like this one more.
1: Yes. Though. Yes, I agree.
0: Than uh, Act Break. But I mean, we also got like more than twice as much episode.
1: Yeah. Hey, Megan. Yeah. MVP.
0: Oh, MVP.
1: I know mine. Can I give my first, Megan? Please. The soup guy.
0: I mean, I do love soup man. I <laughs> think he's my favorite character, but I don't think he's my MVP.
1: I'm making him my MVP then, Megan. Soup guy.
0: So I think my MVP is that bus driver because he got himself out before it got too bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's fair.
0: My LVP, my my least valuable player. Yeah. It's that weird bookshop lady who talks about sports. I don't care about sports, and I want to hear about sports in my Shakespeare.
1: Yep, that's fair.
0: Sorry, I know we don't usually do LVPs, but I just had to talk about how weird that was one more time.
1: Well, Megan, how would you rate Twilight Zone Season 4, Episode 18, The Bard?
0: I would rate it two conjurings out of four immediate references to Romeo and Juliet.
1: That's fair, Megan. I'd give the bard one vavavoom out of four ipsy dipsies.
0: Oh God, I want to die.
1: <laughs> all right, I think that's going to do it for us here on this week's episode of Avant Bard. If you liked what you heard, please follow us on all social media at Avant Bard Pod, and if you really liked what you heard. Please support us on patreon.com slash pod.
0: You'll get bloopers for this episode and every other.
1: We thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you anon. Booty,
0: booty, booty, booty.
1: Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlotte. To support the show, visit Patreon.com/AvantbardPod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avantbard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at AvantbardPod.